McDonald's se está transformando en el mundo anime de McDonald's y te trae la nueva savory chili McDonald's sauce. Los mejores sabores se unen en esta legendaria salsa para que tus 10-piece chicken wackduggets, papitas y Sprite se conviertan en un meal ultra poderoso. Desbloquea un manga con tu meal y disfruta de un corto de anime cada semana. Solo en McDonald's. Badabababa, go! En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado hasta agotar existencias. This is the Global Goals Cast. The podcast that explores if we can change the world. On the Global Goals Cast, we use the Sustainable Development Goals as a framework to share stories of the champions working to save the world. Thanks to Harman, the official sound of Global Goals Cast. On this edition of the Global Goals Cast, we're talking specifically about progress. The world is three years into the SDGs, and we want to explore how are we doing and how can we do better. The goals are very clear on what constitutes progress. No poverty, zero hunger. And each country is working towards those 17 goals independently. This month was the moment where they all checked in, voluntarily sharing their own progress. That check-in is called the High-Level Political Forum. And today we're joined by Rajesh Mirchandani from the UN Foundation or UNF because they are doing a takeover to explore this idea of progress in this episode. The UN Foundation mobilizes people, resources and ideas to help the UN during the years that I was working for the UN. All the time the UN Foundation was an incredible resource and an incredible hand to help us get closer to our goals. So Rajesh, we are very, very happy to have you take over this episode. So Rajesh, first of all, what would progress look like for you? Well, Claudia, Edie, let me first of all start by saying it's great to be here. Thank you for letting us do this takeover. Everyone listening, great to be talking with you today. For me, progress is simple. It's that everyone, everywhere, understands why the SDGs are important and is doing their part to make them real. And that's from governments all the way up to individual citizens. Now, in this program, we're going to hear about progress and we're going to take you around the world to meet some amazing people, to hear some inspiring projects, and to get a sense of what SDG progress means to different people. So, Claudia, Edie, let's go. We're going to start this journey in Uganda. Phoebe Akiki works as a midwife here. This is the only medical facility for miles around, but for years, women in the area would not come to the clinic to give birth because there was no electricity. Here, Phoebe's saying how mothers would die while giving birth at night. All of us were afraid, she says. So to change things, the UK and Ugandan governments worked together to electrify the clinic using solar panels. Now staff can work and live on site. It means healthcare services are more reliable, more pregnant women are using the clinic, and in fact the number of healthy babies born has nearly doubled since the introduction of solar power. What Phoebe's saying here is that she loves her job now because she's watching beautiful, bouncing babies being born. She says that more women are coming to the clinic because this place is, to quote her, shining. 
What I love about this story is not just there are cute, healthy babies everywhere, but it shows how a lot of the SDG issues actually overlap. Infant mortality, healthcare, services for women, renewable energy, for starters, just in this story. That's what SDG progress looks like in rural Uganda. What does SDG progress look like for you? To take care of the future. I mean, we all need an environment that will last for our children and our children's children. Uh, in my country, that's Kenya, we are off uh, plastic bag usage and stuff like that. And it's made a whole difference on drainage and such things. So I would wish to see more and more of that, just to be able to preserve the environment. Good education. For India, we need education good education. Education everything. Every no, whole world. This is, without education, education, nobody can do anything. Peace. To no more war. Democracy. <laughs> That's no more hunger people. For women, you know, who are in labor, uh, they should have like proper facilities. It's amazing how many accents and cultures you experience when you come to what is, for me, one of the most inspiring buildings in the world, UN headquarters here in New York City. And all the people you just heard, well, they represent just some of the nations and the sectors that are here right now. They've come for a major UN event with the snappy title of the High Level Political Forum. And because the UN loves an acronym, We'll call it HLPF for short. What it is, is the moment each year when countries come and report how they're doing to make the SDGs a reality for their people. Welcome to the 2018 High Level Political Forum. Almost three years have passed since world leaders adopted the 2030 Agenda, a roadmap for our peaceful and prosperous societies on a healthy planet. That's the Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, Amina Mohammed, opening the HLPF. Above all, the high-level political forum is an opportunity to respond to two central questions. First, are we on track to achieve the goals by 2030? And second, what do we need to do differently over the coming years to deliver better results? So, how are we doing on the goals? On the positive side, it is already clear that we are seeing evidence of progress in some areas, such as maternal and child mortality, tackling childhood marriage, expanding access to electricity, addressing global unemployment, and cutting the rate of forest loss around the globe. Okay, that's the good news. But it is also equally clear uh -oh. that in other areas, we are either moving too slowly or in fact losing momentum. For the first time in a decade, the number of people who are undernourished has increased from 777 million people in 2015 to 815 million. Fundamentally, this undermines our commitment to leaving no one behind. Poverty is becoming increasingly urban, with most of the world's extreme poor projected to live in urban settings by 2035. Young people remain three times more likely to be unemployed than adults. Access to water is improving, but basic sanitation remains completely off track. Okay, that's all pretty sobering, I'm sure you'll agree. Those facts and figures come from the UN Secretary General's annual official report on SDG progress. It breaks down progress goal by goal. But how about country by country? Some 46 nations presented their progress at HLPF this year. Several dozen more did so in the last two years. So we now have reports from more than half 
of UN member states. What does that tell us? My colleague Mintu Pham is Executive Director for Global Policy at the UN Foundation, and she and her team have been analysing the country reports. Yeah, it's actually quite exciting to see all the enthusiasm of countries to come and present to other countries. It's a sort of a peer review process. And the countries that have presented have really shown their commitment to achieving the SDGs. Every country that has come forward has put in place mechanisms and processes within their government to try to achieve the SDGs. Okay, now I'm going to throw a little jargon at you, so just bear with me. The way countries deliver their progress reports is through something called a voluntary national review, or to give it another cuddly UN acronym, VNR. So basically, countries come to the UN for HLPF to do VNRs on the SDGs. Got it? Simple. And this is what that sounds like. The Lao government has always attached great importance to the full and effective implementations of the sustainable development goal. That's Laos giving its VNR this year. Jamaica and Egypt were a couple more countries that reported back this year too. Let's hear from them now firsthand how they're doing. Here's Jamaica's Minister for Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade, Panel Charles, and first, Egypt's Minister of Planning, Monitoring and Administrative Reform, Hala El Said. We made progress in gender equality. Uh, now, uh, in leading positions, we have eight ministries in the cabinet. In one year, the lady ministers were raised from two to eight ministries, and in a very vital portfolios. They are responsible for very vital portfolios. Also, we have 90 members of the parliament. We have women in different leading positions. So, in terms of gender equality, there is a big move. In terms of solar energy, we are moving into renewable energy. In 2022, we will have 20% of our uh, energy moving into solar energy. Last year, Hurricane Irma and Maria saw devastation. Um, in one of our islands, you had 80% destruction in Dominica. And so we are, we are in a stage of urgency where the Sustainable Development Goals is not just something we want to achieve. It is something that if we do not achieve it, we're going to see the result of our inactivity. It's a part of our national development um, priorities. Um, I'll tell you, we've, we've developed a, an oversight committee, um, and we have also a disaster risk management committee, which is led by our prime minister. Um, and I think that demonstrates how important it is to us in Jamaica. We have, again, significant challenges with financing. And so when it comes on to not just speaking about SDGs, but the actual implementation and sustaining of these activities, it's, it's, it's so difficult because every one of the goals are interconnected. Where you invest is where your priority is. And yes, it is a priority to us in our policy um, and in our articulation. But unless we're able to put the, the necessary development and infrastructural investment in place, the SDG um, will continue to be just a discussion. That is perhaps um, the most critical thing for us. The issue of financing for development is a major concern for all countries. We have resources, but definitely the resources available does not match what we aspire for our uh, country and for our generation. This is Gusson, an electrical technician, telling me about his work at a solar plant in Jordan. The plant supplies energy for up to 80,000 people. 
Thing is, the plant is in Zartri refugee camp, and Gussum is a Syrian refugee. This is the largest solar plant in a refugee camp in the world, funded by international donors, managed by Jordan and the UN's refugee agency, UNHCR, and helping Jordan make progress not only on environmental goals, but also on other SDGs, on infrastructure, innovation, work, and partnership. Through an interpreter, Gassam tells me, for him, it creates opportunity now and in the future. It's a great opportunity. The experience that I'm learning, that I'm gaining here is amazing. And I'll make sure that the experience and all the skills that I'm uh, gaining here in the camp, I can implement it when I'm back in Syria. Gassam's story is a reminder that if you can make progress on one SDG, you can help progress on others. But Jordan's environment minister, Nayef Hamaidi Al-Fayez, says that progress can be compromised by circumstance. I think uh, Jordan has been a case study that has been looked at, especially taking certain initiatives in terms of policies and implementing certain projects for uh, renewable energy, not only for the country itself, but also for uh, some of the host communities and the refugees that we have uh, seen in the camps uh, throughout the country. When you are under stress and the economy is also under stress, that becomes even more of a challenge. And the kind of stress you're talking about is the, is the number of refugees that Jordan is hosting, Definitely. which is I mean, about a third uh, of your population. I mean, uh, the number of uh, refugees is, is uh, compared to the size of Jordan, that's, that's huge. Uh, we're talking about 1.3 million refugees that are in Jordan, not only in the camps, but also in, in the, throughout the country. And so that diverts your priorities, does it? When you've got this big critical issue, when you're under pressure, as you say, how does that then affect your ability to deliver on other goals? We cannot divert our uh, priorities. Our priorities have to be, still be there, but we have to look at uh, alternatives and what, what, what can we do. We have to think out of the box all the time. In a lot of goals and targets, we don't actually have the data that we're going to need. We don't actually have the systems in place for collecting the data, the sort of data infrastructure. And a lot of that's not finance. So making sure that national statistical offices have the capacity, making sure that other sources of data are brought into this process and can be used to help us better understand how well we're doing. Mintu Pham from UN Foundation talking there about some of the big SDG questions that people around the world are puzzling through and that we're going to need new ideas to solve. Some really exciting developments are also taking place. The Global Partnership for Sustainable Development Data um, has just announced an inclusive data partnership to really focus on disaggregated data and getting at those who may be furthest left behind and ensuring there's a data infrastructure around that. But I think data is a major challenge. Second, I'd say financing. So we've talked about billions to trillions. How do you make sure that we're using official development assistance, which is about $140 billion a year, to really broaden that out and leverage and bring in other sources of financing. And we know that the private sector has a really critical role to play. And so what I mentioned before, it's quite exciting that the private sector is right there and ready to you know, roll up their sleeves and really help out. So that's a big, that's a big challenge. Um, and a lot of very smart people are trying to figure this out. And then lastly, how do we target our policies and prioritize those that are furthest behind? So for instance, if we wanted to look at universal access to health coverage, Right? It's not just about reaching those, giving that access to coverage to, to everyone. If you really want to get it right, you've got to find who is the furthest person out there, who is the hardest to reach, and target your policies there first, because then everybody else will fall into line. And in terms of figuring that out, you know, to, on the data issue, on the finance issue, and on the ability to reach those left furthest behind, that's going to take real 
out-of-the-box thinking, no business as usual. But there are really interesting ways to do this. There's innovators and entrepreneurs out there who are trying to find new ways to solve these age-old problems. But there are also governments that are trying to take risks. And I think taking risks and making those big bets to really uh, come up with new ideas, outside-the-box thinking, as you say, to solve these problems is really important. But the good news is that lots of out-of-the-box thinking and doing is happening all over the world. And this is where you and this guy come in. We're all on a long road trip together and we're all on the highway and we want to make sure we're not stuck in a traffic jam. That's John MacArthur, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a senior advisor to UNF. He's co-edited a new book called Summits to Solutions. In it, different experts have written chapters that offer specific ideas to speed up SDG progress. John says, if the SDGs are for everyone, everywhere, then we need everyone everywhere to get involved. If you look at a place in my hometown of Vancouver, Canada, for example, you're very far away from the challenges of extreme poverty in, say, Africa. But one of the things we've learned is that if our communities don't work, the world doesn't work. And if the world doesn't work, our communities don't work. And one of the crucial aspects of these goals is it's about making sure no one is left behind anywhere. So back to Vancouver, we have problems of extraordinary poverty, exclusion, indigenous people, violence against women, food insecurity, hunger, uh, even environmental management in our community. So one of the questions is, how do we make sure we're holding ourselves accountable? Again, whether that's in your church, in your mosque, in your company, in your organization, in your school, how do you set goals that are gonna say, where do we need to get by 2020? Where do we need to get by 2025? How do we make sure that all the staples and paper clips that we buy are from a company that has consistent values to these goals too? How do we make sure there's diversity in our supply chains of everything that goes on in our daily life? How do we make sure that every aspect of our daily life is consistent? And often that's, again, not gonna be flipping a switch, but it's gonna say, by a certain time, we're all gonna agree to get there. So I think it's time for a little recap. Here we are, three years into the SDG timeline. We've heard from the UN and from countries that there is some progress, but we know it's not enough. And we know that to speed things up, we have to solve some specific issues, get more people involved and do things differently. So what are some examples of more and different? A large magnetic drum sorts metals from plastic at a huge recycling plant in New York. This city, along with Los Angeles and a host of others around the world, is measuring its own activities against the global goals. Why is that important? Well, nearly 70% of the world's population will live in cities by 2050. So cities are going to be crucial to delivering positive change. Alex Hineker from the New York City Mayor's Office says SDG progress involves more than just country governments. New York City, as a, as a place with 8.6 million residents, faces some of the world's most difficult challenges that are addressed in the SDGs. And we also have a few innovative solutions that we think that we can share, not just with other cities, but also with national governments that are looking for solutions to some of the 
uh, 17 goals. What are examples of things that you are actually actively logging against the SDGs? What might I think, what might I look at and go, oh, I see, okay, how that fits into your framework. Are there examples like that? Sure. Well, my favorite one is looking out over the East River. You may know that New York City has committed to zero waste by the year 2030, which lines up with SDG 12 on responsible consumption and production. And one way that we're doing that is through the world's largest recycling plant down in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. We use the waterways of New York to, to collect the recyclables and ship them through the water so the streets aren't clogged with the traffic and, and we make sure that we get everything there. So that's just one example of the way that New York City is implementing the Global Goals. At HLPF, New York actually presented its own SDG Progress Report, a local version of a voluntary national review. And not just cities are getting in on the act. Many global businesses too are embracing the SDGs, and it's more than just paying lip service. Here's Justin Perritson from biotech leader Novozyme, and Helen Medina from food giant Nestle. What is it that we have that's unique that will help the development goals, but will also give us a return in our own business interest? So that's one thing. The two, the second thing is that you know we're at a time now where it's not just the governments that are asking for this. Your employees want to know what kind of business you are. Your customers certainly want to know what kind of, kind of business they are. And so the Sustainable Development Goals give you a framework to talk about it. So business really likes this because of the clarity that's been given to us. Well, Novozymes as a company is an industrial biotechnology player. So we're active in about 40 different industries around the world and that translates into about 14 SDGs. So we're able through using biology to actually impact a number of different industries, everything from agriculture to energy to sustainable consumption production. For companies that want to track their work against the SDGs, a new organisation called the World Benchmarking Alliance is another example of out-of-the-box thinking. Herbrand Haverkamp is helping to set it up. The idea is to assess, let's say, the world 2000 most impactful companies on what they do to contribute to the SDGs. And if you think about that a bit more precise, to the SDGs most closest to their core business. We're not only going to assess them, we're then going to compare them with each other, with their peers. Or if you're an institutional investor and you have your portfolio of in, in companies in which you invest, then you want to understand how your portfolio is performing on the SDGs and what are the companies that are leading and what are the companies that are lagging behind. And for that, we need these benchmarks. If you're an individual and you have to read a sustainability report of a company that provides you a massive amount of insight, but you also need a PhD to understand how good or how bad it actually is. And just by comparing it to peers, and it's a very simple way to, to demonstrate both to companies and their stakeholders where they stand. So we've heard about countries, cities, and companies all coming up with solutions to make, track, and speed up progress on the SDGs. Now it's time for a little glamour. Picture the scene, a glittering awards ceremony in the south of France. This is the Cannes Lions Festival, which recognizes creative and impactful communications. And presenting one of the big prizes, some guy. Ladies and gentlemen, the Grand Prix for Good recognizes that the creative industries, you guys, and the brands that you work with have an incredible ability to influence and deliver positive social change. Okay, 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 okay. So why don't we fade me down so I can actually tell you what this is all about. There, that's much better. The UN Foundation sponsors one of the main prizes of the Cannes Lions Festival, the Grand Prix for Good. And the winner this year was a simple project from India that makes a big difference 
for some of those left furthest behind. Here's the promo video. The biggest battle for patients suffering from fatal disorders like ALS, MNDs, and spinal cord injuries is the simple act of communication. In its final stages, many ALS patients can only move their eyes. So this project created a language for them. Listen. So we created Blink to Speak, the world's first eye language by Asha A. Cope Foundation and Noor Jin Hospital. With 50 simple eye movements, patients can express all their needs and desires. The eye language has eight alphabets. Using multiple easy combinations of these alphabets, patients can say, yes, no, I'm not okay, and some important messages like, call the doctor, danger, entertainment, and I love you. Blink to Speak was trialed with 5,000 patients in India, but what I love about this is that it can so easily be scaled up for other people who are paralyzed. Here's Govind Pandey from communications firm TBWA that came up with the idea. Anybody who's lost the sort of, you know, use of uh, speech, what we are told is ALS, any uh, motor neuron disease, uh, anybody who's sort of partially paralyzed and, you know, is not even able to use uh, words to get through. And it's, uh, in fact, the doctors that we work with, they are, they are actually helping us extend the usage of this across all kinds of patients. So it's, it's such a beautiful idea that it's actually finding its own growth and its own momentum because it's actually solving something very, very fundamental and human. I've met uh, some of these patients and uh, some of them are on the sort of last sort of phase of their life and they know that. And uh, just the ability to communicate to their loved ones and to express basic simple emotion like, I love you and I miss you. And you know, I mean, these are, I mean, we really take some of these things for granted and just be able to give them a chance to express what they deeply feel to their family. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think it, it's a very simple idea, uh, but it does a very, very fundamental job of just being in touch with your feelings, with your loved ones, you know, till, till, the, till the very last moment, actually. It's an innovative, scalable solution that helps us reach some of the most vulnerable communities in the world. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and it's like all beautiful ideas, all breakthrough ideas, it's very simple and it's very human. Thousands of miles away, a street protest for gay rights in Nigeria. Homosexuality is outlawed at the national level, although some areas are more tolerant. So how does this fit into the SDGs? Here's my conversation with Zina Mohammed, Executive Director of Nigerian LGBT Rights Group, the Initiative for Equal Rights. Is it right that homosexuality is criminalized yes. in legal state in Nigeria? Well, it's a complicated issue. Homosexuality is um, criminalized on the national level, but Lagos State in itself has sort of decriminalized homosexuality in the sense that it passed a law that says that it's decriminalized, but there's a national law that exists. So there's still a legal lacuna that we're still trying to sort out. Your organization, uh, Initiative for Equal Rights, yes. works specifically on LGBT rights in, in Lagos. What are you doing on the ground that's making a difference, making progress towards the goals, do you think? I think one of the biggest things we do is that we try to keep government accountable. We keep the numbers going, we keep doing research to help government where at the places that they're not looking at. So one of the things that Lagos has really committed to and continues to work on is for healthcare access for everybody, and that is especially disenfranchised groups. And they continue to work with us 
to ensure that people are able to reach medical services without discrimination or whatever it is they're doing. So we keep them accountable on that and we ensure that that does not change. Even if we don't move the needle further, we ensure that we hold that space and Lagos State Government provides that. And also just ensuring that whatever happens and whatever changes are going on in Lagos State that have to do with this community is documented and the good is saved and built upon and the bad is worked on and improved on. Just in case you're not inspired enough yet, check this out. Okay, that's the sound of a 3D printer. Not exactly inspiring in itself, but I want you to meet this woman, Alexandria Lafsey. She co-founded an organization called New Story, and they now 3D print houses. Yeah, you heard that right. My mother, she grew up in foster care, so from her and her siblings, I heard about what housing instability can do to mental and physical health, to just overall stability. And then I was actually a Teach for America educator in Washington, D.C., and about a third of my students were homeless for either all or part of the year, so I directly got to see how that impacted the students and their families. And then in 2014, my co-founders told me about families in Haiti. Four years after the earthquake, now close to a decade after the earthquake, families are still living in the exact same thin tarp tents that they were given immediately after that disaster. And so it really just started with wanting to build a few homes for those families that we met in Haiti. And fast forward to today, and we're at over 1,600 homes. It's not where we expected to be. And now trying to bring tech solutions to make the sector a bit more effective and productive. How did you come up with the idea of 3D printing homes? So that's quite, that's the novelty, isn't it? That's the jump. So we asked ourselves, can we build homes? faster? Can we build them less expensively without sacrificing quality, increasing quality, hopefully? After a lot of research and talking to people, 3D printing just kept rising to the top. And then we met a construction technologies company called Icon. And with them, uh, in a few months, we developed a 3D home printer. This is not a thing of science fiction. 3D home printing is here. The printer works. It is printing houses. And early next year, we'll be printing an entire community in El Salvador, a community of 100 plus homes will be finished by the summer of 2019. You've created an SDG solution from a personal passion, from one mm. idea, mm. and housing is included in the Sustainable Development Goals, but right. if you give people, or if you help people gain access to sustainable, affordable housing, mm. you can help them make progress on so many other goals as well. How much of that drives you? So that's actually how I came into this work. I said, I'm not only interested in building homes, I want to see what the broad-reaching implications are. And we've seen it impact you know, students' uh, school performance and attendance. We've seen it impact um, people's mental and physical health, as I'm sure you can imagine. We've seen entrepreneurship crop up in the communities that we're working in. So the impacts are so far-reaching. Alex is an example of someone who saw a problem in the world they wanted to change and then set about changing it. It's a direct and personal connection to the SDGs. Here's someone else taking a stand for global progress. As an actor, I pretend for a living. I play fictitious characters, often solving fictitious problems. I believe that mankind has looked at climate change in that same way. This is the most urgent of times and the most urgent of messages. Honored delegates, Leaders of the world, I pretend for a living, but you do not. Actor Leonardo DiCaprio inspired millions to become climate champions when he gave this passionate speech at the UN a few years ago. Through his enormous social media following, he's raised the level of conversation and helped many more people understand that without a healthy planet, none of us can thrive. 
Sustainability was the focus of this year's HLPF, and among the visitors to UNHQ in New York was another famous campaigner, actor Michelle Yeoh. She's also a goodwill ambassador for the UN Development Programme. So how does she think we can, each of us, make a difference? It is up to you to also make that commitment to take, take ownership and find out from uh, whether your local NGOs, from the social media, uh, and participating because every voice, every step, every action, no matter big or small, even every dollar makes a big difference. Because, you know, if we don't come together, it's not going to happen. And that extends to what people buy as well. Yes, um, I'm here, particularly this time, is for sustainable fashion, which is very intertwined with our daily lives. I mean, look at us, right? And today, unfortunately, it's like fast fashion. You know, we buy more than we actually need, and they end up in the incinerators or the landfill, the, you know, uh, pits, and that is such wastage. So we have to find measures, and there are good measures, because we are actually uh, planting trees to make sure that nature and technology could be part of the sustainable fashion. And so it is up to us to, to, to find out and to be aware, because you are a consumer, so you have a choice, and you can make the right choice. Now, most of us are not film stars like Michelle Yeoh or Leonardo DiCaprio, but firstly, gotta say, it's always good to have a few famous people in your podcast. And also, what they're doing is using the skills and platform that they have to make a difference. And we can all do the same. From starting your own nonprofit, to consuming consciously, to tracking companies with benchmarks, to holding governments accountable by following VNRs at HLPF on the SDGs, there are so many ways all of us can get involved and help make the goals real and achievable. As Deputy Secretary General Namina Mohammed says, we have to do it. The clock is ticking, but the transformation towards resilient and sustainable societies is not only still possible, it's an absolute imperative. Let us also work urgently in unity towards a world that we must see in 2030 and where all 17 of our promises to people will achieve a more peaceful and prosperous world for all. That was amazing. That was Rajesh, Mirchan, Dani taking over this episode of the podcast. Rajesh is a Chief Communication Officer at the UN Foundation, previously the Vice President of the Center for Global Development, but coming actually as decades of the BBC News, where he was a journalist, a broadcaster, reporting and anchoring from all around the world, and we can see your experience. So before we get into the facts to impress your mother-in-law on the actions that you can take, I just wanted to see... Rajesh, where you think we might be in one or two years from now, and whether you think 2020 is an important year to keep in mind? Okay, that's a good question. Firstly, guys, thank you very much for the, the opportunity to do this. Uh, and thank you for your kind comments. You know, if you give a guy like me a microphone, it's, you're going to struggle to get it back. But uh, I'm happy to share <laughs> it with you for the moment. Um, <laughs> look, we're three years into a 15-year timeline. Next year, HLPF will be held at the level of world leaders. They're going to be coming to New York during the UN General Assembly, and they're going to be taking a long, hard look at SDG progress. And then the year after that, 2020, will be one third of the way through the SDG timeline. So where I hope we are in 2020 is that we have not only identified what are the, the key blockers, the key transformative issues and the key questions that we need to solve, 
by that time to really accelerate SDG progress, but that we are well on the way to solving them. Because, you know, we want to kind of make sure that people keep on track now. We've made it three years in. There is progress. We need to do more. But you know what? As the Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohamed said there, we can do this and we have to do this. So that's the conversation I hope we're having in two years from now. And there are areas, Rajesh, where we can see overall progress. I just want to give kudos to those governments that from the very beginning said voluntarily, I'm going to tell you the plans that I have and the progress I'm making. And this is the Global Goalscast. And in every episode we have, we give our audiences three facts, important things that they can take on and show off with their mother-in-law over dinner. So here we go. 8.6 million. That's the population of New York City, the first city in the world to submit its own progress report on the Sustainable Development Goals to the United Nations. 815 million people. That is the number of people in the world who will go to bed hungry tonight. That is up from 777 million people in 2015. That is one of the starkest examples. That progress is not linear and that the stakes are high. And here's my stat. 4,551, approximately. That's the number of days left until the 2030 SDG deadline. So those are three very important facts. Now, before going to the actions that we can take, I think that the message that we're getting here is that, yes, we are making progress. And despite all the loomy and bad news that we're reading all the time, we just need to be more informed about what's happening in terms of the progress we're making. I am reading a book from the late Hans Rosling that I had the pleasure to work with at UNICEF called Factfulness, where he's saying that most of the trajectory of the world is actually getting better. So Rajesh, we always recommend three actions to our listeners. What are yours? Well, I think there's three things that uh, I really want people to take away from this and get involved in. The first one is just go out there and learn more about SDG progress. And you can do that really easily. Just Google the Secretary General's report on SDG progress. You can also find it on the UN's website, or there's a couple of blogs on the UNF website that link to it as well. Just learn more about where the world is at. And then with that knowledge, I also want you to do this action. Track your own country's progress. So you can use social media, you can use events, you can do whatever you want to do to hold your governments accountable. Because you know what? In 2015, they promised to do all this. So let's make them live up to that promise. And then the last thing that I really want you to do, and I hope that we've given you some encouragement to do that by some of the people we've talked to in this program, is use your own passions, your own experience, your own expertise to get involved with the issues that you're passionate about and therefore help realize the SDGs in your own day-to-day lives and in your communities. That, for me, is SDG progress. Thank you, Rajesh. I just want to add one more. If you haven't already listened to the episode that we made with The National about, especially about the importance of cities and the SDGs, go and have a listen, because one of the folks that you interviewed, John MacArthur, included a chapter by Ruben Abraham, who was a guest in that episode, on how important cities are in achieving the SDGs. Cities and everyone everywhere, Edie, Claudia, you're absolutely right. Rajesh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you take over this podcast, and we hope you'll do it again. It's been my pleasure, and yeah, I would love to be back. This is the Global Goalscast. Thank you for being with us. 
Music in this episode was by Andrew Phillips, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Crone, Amy Edwards, and Ashish Pillowal. We would also love to thank our new partners, Unleash and Eunice Social Business, for joining Global Goalscast as we continue spreading awareness about the SDGs and sharing inspirational stories to showcase the progress towards their achievement. You can find a full list of our partners at globalgoalscast.org. This podcast is powered by CBS News Digital. ¿Estás listo para convertir tus mejores ideas en un negocio en línea exitoso? Te presentamos Shopify. Tal vez no lo sabías, pero nuestro podcast More Than Mummies es un negocio y lo empezamos, por supuesto, para desahogarnos y hablar sobre la maternidad, no para convertirnos en expertas de ventas y del e-commerce. Así que sí, necesitábamos ayuda para vender nuestro merch y poner en marcha nuestra tienda. ¿Y cómo suena con Shopify? Llegó otra venta. Shopify es la plataforma de comercio que está revolucionando millones de negocios en todo el mundo. Ya seas un emprendedor desde tu casa o desde donde sea, Shopify es la única herramienta que necesitas para iniciar, administrar y hacer crecer tu negocio sin dificultades. Con Shopify puedo gestionar pedidos, envíos y pagos desde cualquier lugar, brindándote toda la información y estadísticas de tus ventas al detalle. Regístrate para un periodo de prueba con tan solo un dólar al mes en shopify.com barra sonoro, todo en minúsculas. Ve a Shopify.com barra sonoro para llevar tu negocio al siguiente nivel. Shopify.com barra sonoro. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.